Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. You're going, oh, wait a minute. I thought the resurrection of Jesus is more towards the end of the Gospels. It is, but I'm going to take a different approach to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why did he have to die? Why the resurrection? Why is that important to you and me as Christians? What is the significance of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being in that tomb for three days and three nights, and then raising from the dead? And as Paul puts it, he appeared to the disciples, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to 500 who saw him, and then lastly, he appeared to Paul. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Even if you got one, take one. Then you take it, you bring it home. Can't ever have too many Bibles around your house. I want to show you a story here where Jesus Christ takes his apostles from the lecture to the lab. That he's going to put them in a position in which a storm, a fierce trial is going to come upon them. And he's going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to approach the resurrection of why he resurrected by this story. We're going to look at it and I'm going to come full circle back to this. But I want you to look at this. In Matthew chapter 8 verse 23. Jesus tells them in verse 18 that they're getting into the boat and they're going to the other side. He says, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Important. They got into the boat, verse 23, and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious squall, a storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping in the front of the boat. Now, I've been out to Israel. Some of you have also. The Sea of Galilee is seven miles across from west to east, and it's about 13 miles from north to south. At its deepest point, it's about 150 feet. So it's like a saucer, a shallow saucer. The Sea of Galilee is at the end of two mountain ranges. So a lot of times that wind will come whipping through those two mountain ranges like a funnel, and it'll come down on that lake, and just within minutes you'll have a squall with some five to six foot waves. The boats that they were in are like little rowboats. I mean, you've got 12 disciples and Jesus in it, probably maybe like a 15 foot skiff, and he's asleep in the front of the boat. Now, Dwight Pentecost, one of the professors at DTS, said he was out there. I've told you this story before and I love it. He said he was out there with a bunch of pastors, about 40 pastors, and they were on one of these boats, not one that they had back in this time with Jesus, but they have boats now. They have motors and stuff on them and they're enclosed, but this, they call them Jesus boats. I promise, they call them Jesus boats. They were out there, and all of a sudden, he said, one of these squalls came whipping up on this lake. Now, the driver, he's watching the driver. The driver's eyes are bugging out of his head, and he's trying to get that boat back to shore. He's panicking. Dwight Pentecost said he looked out at the front of the boat, and here were the 40 pastors on the front of the boat riding it like an oil well, going, woo because they were so excited that they were in one of these storms that they had read about. And so here are these men, they're on this lake, one of these squalls comes up, and it's starting to swamp the boat. Now, you got to understand about these men, the majority of the disciples are fishermen, seasoned fishermen who grew up on this lake. Their daddy was a fisherman, their daddy's daddy was a fisherman, their daddy's daddy's daddy was a fisherman. So you've got 
lineage of fishermen. These guys know this lake. They are seasoned and yet they're panicking. Now, I want you to see again that Jesus put him in the boat. He said, we're going to the other side. And he caused this trial. He caused this storm, this squall to come upon him. And I want you to also see that that which terrifies you and I, that which terrifies the apostles is a lullaby to the son of God. He's asleep. How can you be asleep in the front of this boat? It's an open boat with six foot waves coming over the front. Answer. He controls the wind and the waves. And the Psalms, it says he treads on the waves. He walks on them. He created all things. He can do all things and he controls all things. He's asleep in the boat. Now watch this. They're terrified. The disciples went and woke him up. Now love this. The storm will not wake up the son of God, but the voice of his children will. Isn't that good? The storm will not wake up the son of man. He's asleep. He's not worried. He's saying, I've got this. I've created it. But the voice of his children wake him up. And they screamed out to him, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, the other gospel writer records, and this is in all three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. God wants to make sure you don't miss this. And the other gospel writers record, Lord, don't you care if we die? Now, how many of us have been in the middle of a storm? Some of you are in one right now and you're screaming out to God. Do you not care that I'm in this storm? Do you not care that I died? Do you not care tax season is here and I don't have money to pay my taxes? Do you not care my teenage son is rebellious? Do you not care? And I can fill in the blank. And the thing that amazes me about this is he's in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. He's in the vessel and they're screaming and they're crying out. Do you not care that we die? Do you not care that we are going through this trial? Now, Jesus up to this point has healed the sick. He's raised the dead, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak and the lame walk. And they're screaming to him, do you not care that we drown? He's in the boat. He's told them we're going to the other side. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he heard me. My cry came to his ears. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. This is David, Psalm 18. He made darkness as canopy around him, the dark rain clouds out of the sky. It says out of his mouth came bolts of lightning. He reached down from on high, David said, and he pulled me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord rescued me because he delighted in me. Lord, don't you care if I die? Don't you care about what I'm going through? Are you even there? He's asleep in the boat. They wake him up. The voice of his children wake him up. Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them and delivers them from all of their troubles. How many? All. Is there anything God cannot do? Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Ah, Lord God, thou has made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and the outstretched arm, and nothing is too difficult for me. He says in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, I'm the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything impossible for me? 
Lord, don't you care that we drown? Don't you care about the trial, the storm that I'm in? Absolutely. Watch how much he cares. Jesus says in verse 26, ye of little faith. That's the apostles nicknames. You know that little faith here, little faith. He's constantly calling them little faith. Ye of little faith. Why are you so afraid? The Greek word is delos, which means coward. Why are you cowering? Why are you fearing? Why are you trembling with fear? I mean, you're going, hey, that's kind of hard, Jesus. Ease up on the disciples. I don't think that's kind of hard. Why? He has seen the miraculous. They have seen everything Jesus Christ has done. And he's in the boat. Then he got up, rebuked the winds, literally hush in the Greek, one word, and the waves, and it was completely calm. I want you to see something. He calms their hearts before he calms the storms. You see that? He goes to the apostles. The storm is still raging. And he says, ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? Fear not. I'm here. Many times in the gospels, he tells them, let, let your hearts not be troubled. In this world, you'll have many trials and tribulations, but fear not for I've overcome the world. He comforts them. He calms their heart. And then he calms the storm. He speaks to the wind. Hush. Shh. And the wind completely stops blowing. And then he says to the waves, be calm. And it's like glass. Now, I told you a little earlier, that lake is 150 feet deep. If the wind stops blowing, that storm is going to keep going. Have you ever moved things around in a pan? How long does that water keep being turbulent until it goes completely calm? For a while. You got a storm that's raging that's making six foot waves. It's going to take a while for it to calm down after the wind stops, right? In a second, it's completely calm. That God calms your heart first and then he'll calm the storm. And a lot of you are going, I wish he'd calm the storm because it's still raging in my life. But do you have that peace that surpasses all understanding that he promises you that faith abundant by trusting in him and trusting in his word? How do I do that, Bernard? Look to the promises that God has given you and I. The righteous cry out, he hears them, and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is faithful to his promises. He lifts up all those who are bowed down low. He's in the boat. He's in the vessel. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The issues of life, the storms that you're in can only be calmed by the Son of God. You can try meditating. You can try positive thinking. I did that for a while. Joseph Murphy, if I thought positive things, then positive things would happen to me. So I would say these little affirmations all day long. I'd have them up on my mirror until somebody came and ran into my car and I chucked that out the window. It didn't work. If you look at this also, the disciples probably tried everything they could to get the boat to shore to try to save themselves before they cried out to Jesus. Do we not do that? 
Do we try everything within our own means, our own abilities, our own Jethro giant Bodine brains, our power, our connections, our finances, everything that we have, we try to calm the storm and then we go to Jesus. Wouldn't it be easier if we just went to him first? And he calms their heart before he calms the storm. Now look at this. Verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Better to be with Jesus in the boat. In the middle of the storm than being out in the storm without him. Storms are terrifying, amen? Trials are terrifying. But he who calms the wind and the waves is to be feared more. That's more terrifying, isn't it? Don't terrify the storms. Don't be fearful of the storms. Be fearful of him who calms the wind and the waves. He who calms the storms. He's in the boat. Now you're going, okay, Bernard, this is Easter. What does that have to do with the resurrection? I'm glad you asked. Take your Bibles. I want you to go to the right now. And I want you to go to John chapter 14. Go all the way to the Gospel of John. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to go to the Gospel of John. Here's why the resurrection. If Jesus is in the boat, then you fear not any trial or any circumstance that comes your way. The trial may be raging, the storm may be raging in your life, but if he's in the boat, he says, fear not, I've got this. He shall keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast on him. You will keep me, you will allow me to sleep, for you alone, O Lord, give me rest. I mean, these are the promises that you and I have. I want to show you why the resurrection. I want to show you that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died. And the reason that he died was so that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you. See, if Jesus is in the boat with the apostles, then where is he now? He is seated at the right hand of the father, but him dying allowed the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ to live in you. He's in the vessel. In the midst of the storm, Jesus is in the vessel. And I'm going to show you this in the text. Any of you see that interview with Tiger Wood? He hadn't been interviewed since this whole fiasco. And they interviewed him. And the lady was standing in front of him. Wasn't even a sit-down kind of in a room. It was out someplace. And she, she was interviewing him. And she asked him, what happened? What went wrong? Remember what he said, if you saw it? He goes, I lost my focus. I lost my way. I lost my center. She goes, how did that happen? What happened? Quote, I stopped meditating. I stopped being a Buddhist. Do you hear that? Brett Hume, that next Sunday, this is what he said. And I even downloaded it so I wouldn't misquote him. Here's what Brett Hume said. The extent to which... Tiger can recover seems to depend on his faith. He is said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. My message to Tiger would Tiger turn to the Christian faith 
And you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Isn't that good? If Jesus isn't in the boat, if Jesus isn't in the vessel, then that means it's you straining at the oars, trying to get that boat to a safe place on your own. And Buddha's not going to help you. Confucius isn't going to help you. Ron Hubbard isn't going to help you. According to an old legend, a man became lost in his travels and wandered into a bed of quicksand. Confucius saw the man's predicament and said, quote, it is evident that man should stay out of places such as this, end quote, and he walked off. So here's a man in quicksand. That's what Confucius said. Great wisdom. Next, a Buddhist observed the situation and said, quote, let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world, end quote. Then Muhammad came by and said to the sinking man, Alas, it is the will of Allah. Finally, Jesus appeared. Take my hand, brother, he said, and I will save you. And pulled him out of the pit. Who's in your boat? Who's in the vessel? Why did Jesus Christ have to die and raise on the third day? Watch what he says. Chapter 14. Verse 1. He says to the apostles, let not your hearts be troubled. Literally, don't let them tremble with trepidation. Don't let them tremble with fear. Because a little earlier, Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. And Peter said, I'll never fall. And Jesus said, not only will you fall, but you will deny me three times. And Peter was the rock. He was the head of the apostles. And they're all freaking out going, well, if he blows it, then we're all shot. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's mansions, many rooms. I'm going to go prepare one, and I'm coming back to get you. He says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. And he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. Now look down in verse 15. Watch this. He says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. I'm in John 14, 15. He says, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, that word counselor is parakaleo in the Greek, a paraclete, one who comes alongside and gives aid in all situations. It is another name for the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But I know him for he lives with you and will be what your Bible say. He'll be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God didn't just leave us here to figure it out on our own. He's in the boat. He's in your vessel. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. On that day when he dies and he's resurrected from the dead, then you will realize. Then I will come. Then I will dwell within you. Look in verse 25. He says, all this I have spoken while with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Isn't that good? So what's Jesus saying? 
A little bit later on, he tells the apostles three times that he has to die. And they're going, no, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. The Old Testament says when the Messiah comes, he's going to give us political, economic, social, and racial relief. He's going to be the reformer. He's going to crush Rome and set us up into our rightful positions. Jesus said, no, I didn't come to reform government. I came to reform humans. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the way he does that is to pay the penalty for the sin that you can't pay. He dies the death that you can't die. And he lives the life that you and I cannot live. Perfect righteousness in which we must possess to be in the presence of a holy and perfect and righteous God. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's mansion are many rooms. I'm going to go prepare one for you and I'm coming back. He says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. He says, but I'm going to have to die. Look in chapter 15, verse 26. I want to drive this point home. I want you to realize Jesus Christ came and he paid the penalty for our sin. Yes. The power of sin and death has been freed from you and I who believe in Jesus. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. But the resurrection, what is the resurrection? Why didn't Jesus just die? We're all righteous and we go be with God. The resurrection shows that God accepted his sacrifice on you and I's behalf. In the Old Testament, when the high priest would go in once a year and he'd represent the whole nation and he'd offer up Fluffy the Lamb, he'd offer up that sacrifice for the nation, he was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. He had bells on the bottom of his robe. And he would go in there and he would be in a hurry because he would sprinkle that blood over the Ark of the Covenant that had the Ten Commandments in it in which God looked down from heaven and he would see his law constantly being broken. And so his wrath would not pour out on man because he'd look through it through a sheet of blood in a sense. So the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He would look down through blood, see his broken law, but he would propitiate, he would turn his his wrath away from the nation for one year. But I want you to picture this. The whole nation is out in the courtyard. As many that can stuff in there. And that high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. The sanctuary. And they're listening for the bells. I promise you it's dead silent. And they're listening for those little bells. And if the bells stopped. They were in trouble. Why? Because then that means God killed him. And his sacrifice was not acceptable to God. And so God's wrath would break out on the nation. But when he would emerge, when he would come out from the temple, what do you think would happen in that courtyard? (sighs) We dodged a bullet for another year. He would appear. You get the picture? Jesus Christ, after he died for the penalty of man's sin, 1 John says he not only died for our sin, but for the sins of the world, he appeared. And it showed that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. Look in verse 26. When the counselor comes, who am I will send to you from the father? John 15, 26. The spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Look at, uh, let me see. Keep going here. All I've told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time has come when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. 
They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. He says, now, verse 5, I'm going to be with him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, unless I die, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? Now, I'm not going to belittle the point. You see it right there in front of you in the text. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, I no longer live. Jesus, what? Lives in me. He's in the boat. He's in the vessel. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He who unites himself with Christ is one with him in spirit. You see the point? You see the resurrection? Why the resurrection? Why Easter? Why was it so important for Jesus Christ to die and be resurrected? He had to die so that God's presence could dwell inside you, a fallen man and a fallen woman. To where no matter what the storms rage, no matter what life deals you, there is a calm There is a fear not that comes from the Holy Spirit and supernaturally calms your heart. And the resurrection shows that God accepted his sacrifice on you and I's behalf. Without the resurrection, you and I are done. Paul says if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then you and I are dead in our faith. If only for this life we have hope, we're to be pitied more than all men. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you have Jesus in the boat? Do you have Jesus in the vessel? Are you trusting in Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed or positive thinking? Are you trusting in science? Are you trusting in yourself? Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are imperfect. Every one of us has either lied intentionally or unintentionally, disobeyed our parents, thought dirty things. I mean, we can go down the list. Every one of us, and the Bible says if you've broken one sin or one law, you've broken them all. That you and I can stand outside, we can throw a rock to Springfield. My rock may get further than yours, yours may get further than mine. None of us are ever going to hit Springfield. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of his standard. That's some bad news, isn't it? Bad news gets worse. Because this is a book of bad news and good news. The bad news gets worse. Guess what the penalty for sin is? Death. Eternal separation from God. Wait a minute. There's no life after death. Oh, yes, there is. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And I could stand up here for the next hour and give you all the proofs by all the historians and all that they have documented on Jesus Christ being an actual person who a lot of them, Josephus says he was a magician. He did mighty things and raised from the dead. He's either a liar or lunatic or Lord. You choose. But you can't have thousands and thousands of people being burned at the stake and crucified, painfully dying for a lunatic or a liar. He has to be Lord. 
And the wages of sin is death. So the bad news gets worse. There's a penalty that's attached to every sin. But here's the good news. You ready? That while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still spitting in his face, he died for you. Romans 5, 8. If you were laying in a hospital bed and I came in and you were dying of cancer, they give you two weeks and I took all the cancer out of your body and put it in mine. You would live and I would die. That's what Jesus Christ did. He took the terminal disease called sin and paid that penalty. He died the death you and I could not die. He paid the penalty you and I could not pay. And just as the bad news got worse, guess what? The good news gets better. What's the better news? What do you have to do to get Jesus Christ to take all that cancer out of your body and put it in his? You simply believe in your heart, profess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. I was 33 years old when I finally did this. I was raised a Catholic. I was lost as a goose. If you would ask me as a Catholic if I was going to heaven, I'd say, yep. And you'd ask me why, and I'd say, well, me and Jesus did this. Sacraments, everything else. Lost as a goose. When I left home at 18, I got into positive thinking, Joseph Murphy, positive thoughts would bring about positive actions around me, didn't work. Then I got into this thing called the Urantia book, all these different philosophies, everything else. And at 33, after I'd done everything, made a bunch of money, achieved all kinds of athletic success, you name it, I don't want to sit here and bore you with all my accomplishments. There were nothing. I remember at 33... Laying on my back in an empty house after being shacked up with this girl for a while and she took off. And I, it's clear as I could hear you saying, I didn't hear something audible, but it was in my heart. God says, can you hear me now? And at 33, I said, I'm going to do it your way, God. And I gave my life to Jesus and he gave me a new direction. He gave me a new heart. And he gave me a new perspective and he gave me peace because he's in my vessel amidst the storm. Didn't mean now all of a sudden my life was Shangri-La. Wasn't. Matter of fact, it got a little worse after I accepted Christ. But it just didn't bother me like it did before. There was a peace amidst the storm. So I'm going to ask you this morning, is he in your vessel? And the tragedy is that there's going to be some of you that leave and he's not in your vessel. And you're going to leave and go, well, I've punched my card. I've paid my dues. I'll come back at Christmas. And you'll walk out the door and you'll get back in your boat and you'll start straining at the oars and you'll try to do it on your own. And all you have to do is sit. We're going to pray here in just a little bit and accept Jesus as your Savior. It's that simple. Save from what, Bernard? From sin and death. It's that simple. Whether you believe it or not, it's truth. And then some of you have been Christians for a long time, but you're sitting, soaking, souring, and you're not serving. You're not committed. You come to church on Sunday, you kind of sit out there on the fringe, you don't get involved in church, you don't get involved in serving, you don't get involved in any of the Bible studies, you don't have a hunger and a thirst to grow and deepen your knowledge in Christ. 
that you kicked him out of the boat. It's kind of hanging on the back. You've left him. He hasn't left you. And I'm going to ask you this morning to recommit your life to Christ. Put him back in the boat. Put him back in the driver's seat. And say, Lord, I'm tired of straining at the oars. I'm trying to do it on my own. You're in the vessel, but I'm not trusting in you. I'm not trusting in your strength and your power. I'm doing it all on my own. The resurrection, why? Because unless he died, unless he went to the Father, then he would not come. And he would not be in the boat. He would not be in the vessel. Let me read you something. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I went on a bunch of mission trips. If you've never been on a mission trip, it'll change your life. That's all there is to it. I can hardly wait to my little boys. I got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Um, when they get a little older, I'm going to take them on a mission trip. There's nothing like going to a country where they have nothing. They have very, very little. I remember the first time I went, I came back literally with the clothes on my back because I just gave everything away. And I remember going back and I'd see my shirt, you know, being worn over here, my pants and my shoes. Oh, I remember those. I literally came back with a pair of pants and a shirt and my shoes. That is it. Gave away everything because you can't help it. It just changes your life. Well, here's a gal that we led to Christ. And uh, she experienced what I'm telling you, that she understood Jesus was in the boat in the midst of a horrendous trial. Listen to this. She says, I congratulate you with the love of Jesus Christ, our God. I appreciate your warm letters that kept me going through hard times. We remember you and thank God and you for all you have done to us and the church. God bless you. Please forgive me for not responding to your letters for so long. Right after you left, a great disaster visited our family. Velodia, which is her husband, fell down and received a concussion of the first degree. They didn't accept him to the hospital, so I took care of him and cured him with folk medication. And a month and a half later, he started to walk, but the old disease came back. He was bleeding. We barely got him a place in the hospital so he could recover. After he was examined, we were told that a chronicle, uh, yeah, a chronicle hematoma had formed in his head. The doctor offered to operate on it, and I finally agreed. Volodya spent a month in the hospital. It's been five days since he returned home. He's still very weak, lacks appetite. He found peace in God. He found serenity and calmness. Thank God. He remembers you well, as well as the prayer to accept Christ. I don't work. Instead, I spend all the time with him. It is hard, but God helps. Everybody is praying for us. That's why I haven't written. Now, listen, folks, this is a family that lives in a one room flat about a 15 by 15. They have a toilet and a hot plate to cook their food. That is it. She said, that's why I haven't written. I did not attend the meetings when your brothers were visiting because we go out and do more evangelistic campaigns, but I still received the letter. Thank you. Approximately 15 people met at Lapsari. Dr. Shreza presided over the meetings. Katia, the interpreter, attends the meetings, although not very often so far. Pray for us. Write us. Nadia. The next letter that came says, I wasn't able to mail the letter right away. I was all the time with Velodia. I cured him as well as I could. He never managed to get on his feet. He's very exhausted, still no appetite. Next letter. He passed away 
on October 31st. I thank God for the belief. Now listen to this. I thank God for the belief and the hope that we will meet in heaven. Hallelujah. And then she signs it. Isn't it awesome? And then says, pray for my children. Is he in the boat? And if he's not, do not leave here without getting him in the boat. And if you've been sailing along as a Christian without him at the oars, or you've been driving along and he's in the passenger seat right here, right now, this morning, this is your day. Maybe this is your time to accept Christ as your Savior. Maybe this is your time, your day, your Sunday, Easter morning, to commit your life anew to Christ. Let me pray while I'm praying. We're going to have you guys go ahead and bring the implements. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is our family here. So if you feel comfortable having the Lord's Supper, awesome. If not, that's okay. But uh, let me just pray a little bit. We're going to have Bucky come up and sing Arise. Let me pray. It's Lord in heaven.